1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No 18+ and website for details. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. All right, Ian, so uh, it is time for OTA overreactions. Isn't that the... the the world we live in. I mean, if you jump on Twitter right now and and just go look at all of the tweets, I don't care which side of whatever argument you're on. It's an overreaction because this is OTAs and none of it really matters. And the quarterback competition between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, just like Aaron Rodgers in green Bay has the fan base divided.
0: First off, I Think it's rather humorous that the fan base is divided about Aaron Rodgers. Like, what is there to be divided over? Like, really, you don't want Aaron Rodgers? Okay, I mean, I get that you don't think it'll happen, that's one stance to take, but to actually not want Aaron Rodgers is absurd. But I think that speaks to what is wrong with Broncos country and quarterbacks. Like I legitimately do not care about this quarterback competition. I don't care about it now. I won't care about it in July and I hopefully won't care about it come the preseason because I just don't care. We've been here. We've done this. We know how it plays out.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing. What do we got excited about case Keenum let down. We were told to get excited about T sizzle. Give me some of that Trevor Simeon love let down. We Got excited about Drew Locke last year, let down. We've we've been excited every year since the Broncos won a Super Bowl in 2016, 2015 season, 2016 Super Bowl. And every year we've walked away from the season feeling uh, less than enamored with the with the situation, right? How excited were you that the Broncos drafted Paxton Lynch? And be honest about that because I was because we drafted Paxton Lynch when the Chiefs wanted him, when the Cowboys wanted him, and about 30 other teams wanted him, and the entire league was like, whoa, that's a good draft pick, and then it didn't work out. So don't give me this, oh, Paxton Lynch was terrible and I knew it from the start. No, you didn't. Maybe you knew it when he did that goofy dance and you were like, oh, no. But on draft that, that, day. That was
0: the first sign. That was like, the first indicator, right? That that should have been the indication to everybody that it wasn't going to work out. And by the way, I think I've said this on prior podcasts, I still can't get over how big his feet are. Like they're legitimate ski look
1: I, I'm I have big feet I wear a size 14 I've always been told my dad always tells me oh you don't even need you don't even need skis look at those boots and I'm like yeah I, yeah I get it I have big feet I always have that those feet the Paxton Lynch feet unbelievable in fact he should get some credit for just being able to pick them up but I, I digress let me get back to what's going on in the in the present day here. The Drew Locke-Teddy Bridgewater battle in OTAs is maybe the least exciting battle I have ever heard of. And I, I know that some people, if you, if, you, if you are paying attention and you want to know what's going on, I have no problem with that. You should pay attention. You should figure out what's going on with both quarterbacks. But here's what I'll tell you. It's not exciting. It's seven on sevens. It's 11 on 11s. They're wearing shorts. It, it's, it's nothing. And so everything that happens right now, this is all learning stuff. This is all going through the playbook. This is getting a feel for what the two quarterbacks bring to the table so that when you get to training camp and then preseason, the battle can actually commence, I guess you could say, as, as much of a, a pillow fight as it will be. And and I'm not trying to belittle either guy. I, I get it, right? They're, these guys are both trying to make it in the NFL. They're far in a way beyond where I have ever been in sports. And I acknowledge that, but I, am, I just can't get excited about a Broncos quarterback battle anymore. I can't do it. Like you said, it's just, it's not in me right now. And maybe it will be in a couple of months, but, but here we are recording on what is today, June 8th, I suppose. Sure. I, I'm not there
0: yet. I, I'm really not. And I won't be there. I I just, I know what both of these quarterbacks are and you're not going to be able to win with either one of them. You may be able to get to the point where they've been the last five years, which is not sucky enough to suck, but not good enough to make the playoffs. So you're stuck in that horrible situation where you're in the 10 to 12, 13 range in the draft, which is a horrible, horrible spot.
1: Yeah, it's not fun because you you don't have any options there. Although I will say, and I don't want to get too far into this conversation again because we have had it, and I know that there are people who are going to disagree with me when I say this, but if the if the Broncos' quarterback situation does not improve drastically, whether that be Drew Lock taking a huge step forward or Teddy Bridgewater figuring it out after being moved on from by several different teams in the NFL, or Aaron Rodgers shows up and and somehow becomes the Broncos starter, which we'll talk more about that later. If that doesn't happen, I, I think there's no way that anyone can look back on this draft and see that the Broncos passed on Justin Fields, no matter what Justin Fields becomes and what Patrick Surtain becomes. I don't think you can look back on this draft and think it was successful. If the quarterback situation is not improved this season, and that's not a knock on Sertain. I think PS two is going to be a cell, uh, a stellar, cornerback in the NFL I think he's gonna be a stud but I do feel like as we go into this season and we watch this battle and we watch these two guys Teddy Bridgewater Teddy two gloves whatever you want to call them and Drew Locke who is Buzz Lightyear if, if that makes you feel good about yourself if we're watching these two guys battle it out and then they go into the season and and you're you end up at six and eleven or seven and ten because that's what it feels like it's going to be You've you've done your team a disservice, no matter what happens with Justin Fields, because you didn't give your team a chance to go get the guy that would be potentially the quarterback of the future franchise player. And I know we're just going back when I start to talk about those things. And so let's be let's be forward oriented and, and face forward and, and look to the future of this Denver Broncos team and and not talk about interceptions thrown during a seven on seven drills and shorts and a T-shirt.
0: I will say that the, the thing that is interesting to me, and I think it's going to be regardless of who the quarterback is, whether it's Locke, whether it's Bridgewater, or Aaron Rodgers, is the development and play of Lloyd Cushionberry. Because I think everyone listening to this, everyone who's watched the Broncos would agree that Lloyd Cushionberry wasn't good enough in his rookie season. And the thing that gives me The hope that he's going to be the player that everyone expects him to be inside the organization, him, fans, is that he gets it. When he was doing the news conferences after OTAs on Tuesday, he was asked on where he improved the most during the second half of the 2020 season. Throughout the course of the year, I became more confident while believing in myself a little more and playing faster. To end the year, it was better. It wasn't to the standard that I set for myself or what, or what this team expects. Going into this year, obviously, it needs to be better. I look forward to achieving that. We all know what Cushenberry is capable of. And now that he has competition with a guy that's going to let the belly breathe, and I, I still think that your joke about him is the funniest that I have seen yet, and I'll let you give it because you did it on social media. I don't but even remember it. It's a competition. <laughs> well, you, you said give that it. I don't you remember do it. it. <laughs> when you do what he oh, does by letting the belly breathe. That's right. I forgot. I tweeted that. Yeah. I get
1: yelled at. Kids run and scream. It's terrible. You know, my wife rolls her eyes. Like, look, at this. I just got to let it breathe. He gets to quit. Meniere's gets to. I have Meniere's disease. That's an actual thing too. Meniere's disease. It's just different than letting the belly breathe. But that's got to be, a sh- someone's got to make a shirt. Meniere's disease has to become a thing now. Oh my gosh. I'm in. I'm all in on that.
0: What's funny about that is that he doesn't want it to become a distraction, which is hilarious because it's what he's known for. It's
1: built in already.
0: <laughs> but um, the competition between the two of them is going to be fun to watch. And I think for now, Cushenberry is the starter. He's going to be the guy who is the presumptive starting center for the Denver Broncos. And I think unless Meniere's comes in and lets the belly breathe and just blows everyone out of the water like he did at uh, the Senior Bowl, which is why he got drafted in the first place, I still think it's going to be Cushenberry. But we had this discussion before we started recording about how – the offensive line actually has the potential, that scary P word, to be one of the better units for the Broncos this season.
1: Yeah. And if you look at what they have, they had Garrett Bowles sort of break out. I mean, sort of. He obviously broke out. Uh, last season and was one of the best left tackles in, in the game. They, they've still got, uh, you know, Cushenberry coming off of a rookie season. You've got Mooty, who, uh, you know, Natan Mooty is a, like some sort of gym freak. I guess all the stories about him, and I know we've talked about that, are that he's, he's an incredibly strong individual who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, you know, you've still got Dalton Reisner, and Reisner was not good Last year, I think and we should maybe mention that as well. He wasn't as good as he as he should have been. Um, that's just one of those things that that happens, right? Uh, but but they have, and I think the key to everything here, and I'm not even gonna, I'm not going to go into the right tackle position, and we, we, you kind of know the depth, and that's fine. The key to everything here is you've got Mike Munchak, and with Mike Munchak being what a lot of people consider to be the greatest uh, offensive line coach in the NFL today, right? He's top of the list for most most organizations. You've got enough talent there and you've got a good enough coach that this is a unit that I think could be when you start to say, well, what is the best offensive line in the NFL? I think the Denver Broncos are going to be in that discussion. They can be in that discussion no matter what. And we've also had the discussion about how a quarterback makes an offensive line better. And you can see that in, the, in just the difference between the Denver Broncos under Peyton Manning and then pretty much exactly the same team, a bad Peyton Manning, no less, and then pretty much exactly the same team the next year and how that offensive line just wasn't as good. You can You can make those sort of comparisons and you can understand how that happens, right? A quarterback can be a problem for an offensive line. But I also believe the flip side of that is if the offensive line is good enough and they give the quarterback enough time, and can be a you know a, a brick wall there for whoever it is that's taking snaps from under center, then that quarterback is going to benefit as well. And and that's something I I fully expect to see from the Denver Broncos. It's just the one thing I think aside from you know just how good I, I believe the defense is going to be. It's the one thing that I'm kind of buying into. Is that offensive line is one that I believe is going to be in in sort of the conversation for best in the league. Uh, in, in 2021.
0: You mentioned right tackle. Juwan James obviously tore his Achilles, got released. The news on that front is that he's actually filed a grievance and is seeking $15 million. I think the most bizarre news out of that whole thing is that he's hinting at possible collusion between the NFL and the Broncos. Like, really? Collusion? They colluded to make you work out off site.
1: Yeah. I think the the collusion piece there really comes from uh, the notion of they're going to make an example out of him because of what the players association did. This is, this is a, and I don't want to get into the CBA stuff and I don't want to get into the, you know, the, the contracts that are signed and those kinds of things too much, because there's a lot of legal ease there that you have to understand. And a lot of it, I don't understand. I'm a, I'm a teacher and that's, that's my trade. And if you want to talk to me about teaching, I got that. But uh, when it comes to the legal aspect of everything, I, I tend to shy away from it. However, there are some pretty obvious things that went down here. The, the players association came out and made a statement about training at the facility. And so a lot of players chose to stay away because of that. And now you have players like Juwan James who are going to be penalized and made an example of because they chose not to work out at the facility because the Players Association said, don't do that. Well, now you're hurting yourself because you've got a contract that you put at risk by not training at the facility. If he blows his knee out lifting weights in the Denver Broncos training facility at Dove Valley, you know, no big deal. You know, if you're training at the Greek, it's tra- what are they going to call The Greek training facility now that Antonopoulos is re- retiring, which we, we didn't even mention that. I guess we will here in a little bit.
0: After but 45 years, 45 years,
1: he's been with the Broncos longer than I've been alive. Credit to him. So <laughs> good on you there. Uh, but it's that's that's a problem with, with your union messing you up. And I've, I generally side with labor. I've said it several times, but in the last few months, the the mistakes that the labor side has made for the NFL, for the NFL PA has, it's just been egregious. It's just been stupidity. If you're going to strike, strike, right? If you're going to walk out, walk out, but don't do this half measure. Don't work out at the facility. You guys, uh, safety measures. None of that was true. And so now you got a guy like Juwan James, who's injury prone, as it is, and probably has to, you know, bubble wrap himself just to go outside working out off site. He gets injured. Obviously, of course, the Broncos are going to make an example of him. He played 63 snaps for the Denver Broncos and walked away with millions of dollars. So of course they're going to, they're going to ask for some of that money back when he screws up. Do I think the Broncos could have been cool about it and said, now we're not going to do that. Yeah, they could. have but the NFL is well within their rights to say, you know what, we need to make an example out of him because as an organization, they're messing with us and we can't allow them to continue to do that. They need to know what the repercussions are. It's not collusion, it's consequence. And that's the issue here for Juwan James. And he signed with the Ravens anyway. He's fine. So, you know, he's got another contract already and he's already looking at playing for another team. So I, wherever this grievance goes, it doesn't matter to me. Best of luck to him. Uh, He he got all the money in the world that he needed to survive from the Broncos, and now he can move on, and I'm done with him.
0: I know it's a slippery slope to bring in real world to sports and the NFL, but in the real world, if you get injured off-site, you can't file a workman's comp claim. How is that any different than working out off-site Not at your working facility, not where you do your job. How is that any different? And I get it. It's a slippery slope. But really, if I injure myself off-site, I'm not going to be able to file a workman's comp claim. I'm not going to expect my company to pay for my rehabilitation or whatever it is that happens. I guess that's what insurance is for. But I'm not going to expect my company to pay for it. That's no, absurd.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right on that. And it is interesting to note that, uh, you know, the the NFLPA should have probably done better by their players by making sure that players were allowed to work out off site and that they couldn't be, um, they couldn't be, you know, slapped on the wrist for working out off site because, quite frankly, in the NFL, you've got to stay in shape. Well, are you now expecting your players to just stay in? Denver, for example, and just constantly be at Dove Valley working out. That's the only place they're allowed to work out because that's what's set up now with, with this particular, um, I, I don't know, with, with the Denver Broncos essentially, you know, going after the money that Juwan James has. So it, both sides are, and I hate to do that both sides stuff, but it's the, just the truth on this one. Both sides have made mistakes on this one and it's going to have to get figured out, but it can only be figured out in the next collective bargaining agreement. So the NFLPA needs to be smarter about what they tell their players to do. And don't, don't do something that in your contract it explicitly tells you not to do or you could lose your contract. It's that simple. Aaron Boone, for example, Booney, the, the manager of the Yankees, lost his contract essentially with the New York Yankees after hitting the walk-off home run in Game 7 in the 2003 ALCS because he was playing basketball offsite, If he'd been playing basketball at Yankee Stadium, he'd have been fine. It's the same thing here. So just be smart about it. Don't be dumb.
0: In terms of the current right tackles for the Broncos, they signed Bobby Massey and Cameron Fleming. So I think that's going to be the biggest question mark for the Broncos' offensive line is who steps up and who becomes the starter at that position. Because anyone who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that, we have ripped John Elway in this organization for failing to get a right tackle. Well, I don't know if they have one, but at least they signed two of them instead of going <laughs> with Donald a Stevenson over Mitchell Schwartz.
1: Oh, the, the Donald Stevenson over Mitchell Schwartz fiasco. I don't even know if you can call it a fiasco. I just, I still go back. And it's like Mitchell Schwartz. I don't even think wanted to be here. He looked at what Kansas city was doing and he looked at what Denver was doing. and was like, Hey, Kansas City. <laughs> I think he, he probably was was a, a little bit ahead of, of of everybody else on that. He knew what was going on. But, I, I, again, it's a constant issue for the Broncos, and I don't know if George Payton has it figured out or not.
0: We'll see. You know what will make the, the Broncos' right tackle better, regardless of who it is? Aaron Rodgers. Oh, here we go.
1: Here we go. Are we in? Are we doing it? Are we having our yeah, Aaron Rodgers discussion? Okay. All right, let's jump okay. in. Yeah, we can talk about Aaron Rodgers. That was the segue. That was our that was our. I just wanted to make sure we were we were going into it and was was going to happen. All right, let's do this. Let's let's have the conversation. Go. I, I don't know what you want me to say here, so I'll let you go and then I'll just react.
0: Well, I think the the news is obviously that uh, to the surprise of no one, maybe outside of Green Bay, that Aaron Rodgers did not show up for mandatory minicamp on Tuesday. So, in terms of the fines. He's already missed out on a $500,000 workout bonus. So this $93,000 fine that he's going to face, really? I mean, it's really not that big of a deal if he's missing $500,000. I think the interesting part is whether or not the Green Bay Packers fine him.
1: Yeah, that would that will that say a lot. Yeah, that, I, th- I think that, that ends up being kind of a big mark there.
0: The other bit of news came on Broncos Country tonight on Monday when uh, Ryan and Ben had Rob Demosky, who was the ESPN Packers reporter. And as he said, as he told to Ryan and Ben on Broncos country tonight, I think he's dug in. And at this point, I'm not sure there is anything the Packers can do to fix that short of blowing up the front office, which they're not going to do. And he said, this is back in, on May 1st, so over a month ago, He said there is a 5% chance that Aaron Rodgers plays for the Packers to get, and he said he hasn't seen anything to change that percentage.
1: That's a small percentage. I guess percentages go. It's a small one.
0: He doesn't see, I mean, in terms of actual quotable stuff, let me open up the tweeter machine because Benjamin Albright tweeted a quote from Domofsky. is my gut is he just doesn't play, he doesn't ever play for the Packers again. And I think if if you follow anyone who follows the Packers, that's usually been what they say. The question is not whether or not he's going to play for the Packers again. It's what's going to happen in 2021. And to me, it's two things. He's either going to sit out or he's going to get traded. He will never play for the Green Bay Packers again.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that. I, You know I've gone back and forth on this and it's not so much about Aaron Rodgers and who he's going to play for. And it's more about what I think is going to happen with the Denver Broncos and what, and what they are going to do with this opportunity. And the thing with Aaron Rodgers is, is really interesting to me, or at least the thing that I think is interesting. And it's something that's been coming out more recently. And if you go on Twitter, you check out what they're talking about on NFL network or, you know, some of the national stuff it's what are the Packers willing to do? And quite frankly, if they were going to get the most out of him from the, for, for the draft in 2021, they would have traded him before the draft. So now you're looking at 2022. And what you want is the highest possible draft picks. Well, if you trade Aaron Rodgers to the Denver Broncos today, let's just pretend you're the Green Bay Packers. Let's just do a little thought exercise here. You're the Green Bay Packers, and you trade Aaron Rodgers to the Green Bay Packers for a first round in 2022 and a first round in 2023. And I don't know how many first rounders you're going to get, but let's just go with those two first round picks, 2022 and 2023. And yes, you're going to get other things, but these are the the first round picks I'm talking about. And we've talked about this. We've mentioned this before. What you're essentially going to get for Aaron Rodgers, if you trade him today, is a 2022 first round pick that is probably after the 25th pick in the draft a glorified second-round pick, and probably after the 25th pick in the draft in 2023, a glorified second-round pick. That doesn't mean you can't find talent there, but it does mean that you're not going to find talent that is commiserate with what Aaron Rodgers is. So if you're the Packers, is it in your best interest to wait and trade him to a team like the Denver Broncos who are probably going to go 5-12, and 12, six and 11, somewhere in there. And now you're going to get at least one top five or six pick in the draft for Aaron Rodgers in the 2022 draft. Because that to me is, is really what the question is going to be about the Denver Broncos and about the green Bay Packers and what they do with Aaron Rodgers. It's, are you willing to wait and sit it out? And that's for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers as well. Or would you rather wait and trade him before the 2022 draft for the highest possible draft picks, knowing that the teams that you would trade him for now will probably te- be teams that would be willing to trade for him next year. And then, if you're the Denver Broncos, do you want to wait a year? Do you want to give another year to Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater? And then, if one of them shows out, you're now what do you do? Right now, now what is the process? See, so if I'm the Packers personally, and, and this is just me, I'm telling Aaron Rodgers, sit out go for it. We're not going to be able to get as much for you now as we want. So go ahead and sit out. We'll start Jordan love. We're going to move on. You go ahead and take a break, do your jeopardy thing, get that jeopardy money. And then before the draft next year, we'll trade you to a a terrible AFC team. That's what we'll do. And, and that to me makes the most sense for the Packers. It might not make the most sense for a 37 year old Aaron Rodgers who's headed towards the 19th hole. If you know what I'm talking about here, right? Finishing up his career, heading for some beers. So for him, it might be more in his best interest to say, okay, fine. I'll come play for you with the guarantee that I'm getting traded at the end of the season before, before next year's draft. So there's, there's some finagling here that needs to be done. There's some guarantees that need to be made. I don't, I don't personally see him being traded this year because of that. Those are the things that I think are obstacles that stand in his way and stand in the way of George Payton and the Denver Broncos being able to make a move for him. And now I'm sad.
0: The thing that needs to be stated is that's from a Packers perspective. Sure. Absolutely. From a Packers perspective with Jordan love, I said this to you, do you want that distraction of Aaron Rodgers not being there hanging over your franchise the entire season, because it is going to be asked at every single news conference, For every single person in that organization, no matter who it is, if they're doing press, they are going to be asked about Aaron Rodgers. It is going to be hanging over this organization for the entire season. Is that really what you want Jordan Love to have to deal with? To not only have to deal with following in the shadow of Aaron Rodgers, but also having to answer questions about Aaron Rodgers not being there? That's a distraction for him. That's an unneeded distraction because it takes his focus off of playing football. And he can say that it's not going to matter, that it's not a big deal, but it is. He's a human being. If you're constantly asked about something, you have to think about it. It's, a, it's taking you away from what you should be doing. And as an organization, do you really want that for a quarterback who's already going to be behind the eight ball in following Aaron Rodgers?
1: Yeah, I think I'd be okay with it. (laughs) we talked about before, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I I think at least throughout training camp, I'm willing to roll the dice here. If I'm Matt LaFleur and I'm looking at, and and I think you have to take it from Matt LaFleur's perspective, right? He's the one who's got to coach the team, right? You've you've got uh, the front office has put the team together. They've given you the quarterback you're going to play with. They've given you all the talent that's out there. If I'm Matt LaFleur, I'm saying, you know what? We are going to go with Jordan Love until Aaron Rodgers comes back. And if he comes back, Aaron Rodgers is the starter. And if he doesn't come back, Jordan Love is the starter. And everybody here knows it. And you can ask me a million times about it or not. It doesn't matter. Nothing is going to change until something changes. And so I get the perspective of do you want the distraction for Jordan Love? Do you want this young quarterback who's just getting into the league and trying to figure things out to constantly have the uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, cloud looming overhead Sure, you can, you can make that uh, argument that it's too much of a distraction, and so you trade him away to get rid of the distraction. But some distractions are worth it, and some gambles, while they may not work out, are still worth taking. These are dice side roll. If I was Matt LaFleur, I'd say, you know what, let's wait. There's no reason to trade him yet, because even if they decided to trade him after training camp and they decided to trade him to the Denver Broncos after the training camp is over, you're still, you're still not getting the picks that you want you're still not getting as much as you think you deserve. And, and I guess it just depends on how much do the Packers front office, Gutenkunst and all of the, you know, is that how you say his name? I don't know. And and all of the people who are making those decisions, how much do they value draft picks? And is it going to matter to them that the draft picks they're going to get for Aaron Rodgers if they trade him today or, you know, anytime before the 2022 draft, that those draft picks, or anytime before the 2021 season, I should say, those draft picks are going to be less than great. They're going to be glorified second rounders. And if I'm the Packers, I don't care about the distractions. I'm, I'm telling my team, we know it's there. We know there's a distraction there. D- don't care. Go play football. We'll take care of it. That's our job. You do your job on the field. We'll do our job off the field. You don't have to worry about that. And I get your point, and I don't think you're wrong. And that's, I think, the biggest uh, part of all of this is that nobody's going to be wrong here. The Packers would absolutely be within their rights and probably smart to say, yeah, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until the season's over, and then we're going to trade him to a terrible team. Because they needed to trade him to a terrible team before the draft and get that 2021 first-round pick. They needed that ninth pick from the Denver Broncos. They didn't get it. So now they need the ninth pick from the Denver Broncos in 2022, and there's no guarantee that you're going to get that. And there's certainly no guarantee that you're going to get it. You're not guaranteed. In fact, I guarantee you won't get it if you trade Aaron Rodgers today. So it makes it a, a sort of a tricky proposition. Both sides, the whole situation is kind of a cluster of of, of sort of ridiculousness. And I, I and I guess I've got my negative pants on today, and I just don't feel like it's going to happen.
0: The wild card in all of this is how the rest of that locker room responds to it. Devontae Adams has already hinted that if Aaron Rodgers isn't there, he may not be either. So if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up, if Devontae Adams doesn't show up, what do you do if you're the Packers? Because now you have a situation where you have caused a rift in your locker room. It doesn't matter if Jordan Love is a successful quarterback or not. You take Devontae Adams away from him as his number one receiver, he's not going to be successful.
1: So there's going to be a potential
0: ripple effect. If the Packers decide to do this, if they take your route, if they take the Peter King route and try to hold out for better draft capital, what is going to be the ripple effect with the rest of the players in that locker room? Because they look up to, and they follow Aaron Rodgers. He just won the MVP. Devontae Adams knows he's far more likely to be successful with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback than Jordan Love. And I, so does I, yeah. everyone else on that roster. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up and the Packers hold form and they don't trade him, it may cause a ripple effect that they're not going to be able to overcome even if they do decide to trade him. So here's, so here's all of this needs to be weighed.
1: I, I agree. I, I just, I, here's another, uh, another little conspiracy that you can, you can throw on top of that. This one is a little, a little bit of fun. If you're turning the page from Aaron Rodgers and you want the most you can get in draft capital. You want the highest possible pick. So you let the Broncos flounder for a year. Let's just pretend it's the Broncos because that's what we want, right? The Broncos go whatever. Let's call it 5-12 and because that just sounds weird. They go 5-12. and 12. They end up with uh, the 6th round pick in the draft or the 8th round pick. Let's say they end up with the 8th round pick in the draft. Then they come back and they say to the Denver Broncos who have the 8th round pick in the draft, Aaron Rodgers didn't play all year just like Peyton Manning hadn't played all year the year before. Right. And we're willing to trade him to you for your first round pick, but we're not going to give up our first round pick. Well, what do you think their first round pick is going to be when they don't have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback? It's probably going to be a top 10 pick 10 or 12. So now they've got, if you think about it, they've got an eight and they've got their own 10 or 12, or maybe even higher, depending on how bad Jordan love is. Now they're looking at, Hey, we've got two top 10 picks potentially in in the 2022 draft because we held on to Aaron Rodgers. We sucked. They sucked. And now everybody gets to have a first round pick. And we, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there is a, a thought process there that if you want to play this long game and you want to, you want to start, you know, looking at how can I make this the most advantageous for the green Bay Packers and that's not what I want, but that's what the Packers are going to do. Not trading him this year, letting him sit, being terrible with Jordan Love as your quarterback, recognizing that if you're turning the page from Rodgers, you're probably turning the page from a lot of the players that you have on the roster, like a Devontae Adams. Okay, but now what we're going to do is we're going to come back and we're going to take the Denver Broncos first-round pick for Aaron Rodgers this year and next year, which will be a glorified second-round pick in 2023, which is fine. But we're going to have our own really high first-round pick, uh, possibly a top-10 pick. The Broncos' top-10 pick, we've got two – we could, there's, there's some things you can do there. I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do, but if I thought about it, just sitting here, listening to you, I guarantee somebody smarter than me in their organization has at least considered that. And if they haven't, and now they're listening to this podcast and I screwed it up, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to mess that up for us.
0: Well, I will say right now, if that's how you run an organization, you're not going to have people that want to play for you. I,
1: I don't disagree with, with you. the reason Aaron
0: Rodgers wants out. If that's how they're going to treat their players, if that's how they're going to view the process, you're not going to have people that are going to want to play for you or ever sign for you. So if that's the route they want to take, go for it. But Aaron Rodgers has already said, he said it to Kenny Maine. it's about how you treat people. So go for it. If Guttenkust wants to treat players like that, if that's how Mike Murphy wants to treat his players, as the CEO of the Packers, go for it. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a franchise no one in the NFL will wanna play for. Yeah. No, I don't
1: disagree with you. I'm just, just putting it out there. This is a, a little thing to think about. Um, and, and it's gonna be interesting to see over the course of the next few weeks how everything plays out. And and I, I know nothing and you know nothing other than what we see. And I don't know, it's gonna be kind of fun to watch, I suppose, or it's just gonna be maddening and I'll just, you know, fade into existence and not really not really say anything until everything's all said and done. Who knows?
0: What will, be, what will be very interesting about all of this is what the Packers ultimately decide is worth it. Is it worth it to have this distraction and, and potentially splintering your locker room? Or do you just remove the Band-Aid and, and move on? Because this isn't the first time Murphy has been in this situation. He did literally the exact same thing to Brett Favre. And he's trying to run that playbook back With Aaron Rodgers the difference is Aaron Rodgers screwed him over by being the MVP last year the Packers I believe the Packers legitimately thought Aaron Rodgers was done and the fact that he came out and won the MVP screwed them over and is why we are having this discussion
1: yeah I absolutely agree with that a hundred percent and I guess we'll find out as as time marches on we will we will get more information I suppose um it will like you said it will all depend on what the packers are willing to put up with and willing to go through versus what they what they are not willing to go through and if you know if if the scale says trade him they will and if the scale says don't they won't it's interesting i do think they're looking at this more from a business perspective commodity side of you know players are commodities and they're pieces to a puzzle but they're not necessarily people whereas players look at it as we're people we're not just Pieces to a puzzle we you know we have feelings we have wants and needs and all of those things so it all depends on how they choose to like you said run their organization i hope they run it into the ground and trade aaron rogers to us tomorrow but i actually I don't because you know ridiculous that they would wait until after we recorded they should do it like uh like 10 minutes before we record that's what they should do and then we can just have a big you know festival on on our next podcast that would be my preference all right a terrible segue here, and but I'm just going to jump into it because we have a couple more things we do need to discuss. Uh, one of them is a little bit on the sadder side, and so I think we'll start there, uh, and that is with the passing of Jim Fossil. And uh, for most Broncos fans, I think most Broncos fans know already, but if you don't, uh, Jim Fossil was the offensive coordinator for John Elway when he was with the Broncos in, I believe it was 93 and 94, maybe it was 92, 93. My years might be off on that just because my memory doesn't work but he was also John Elway's offensive coordinator when he was at Stanford. He was the offensive coordinator for the band is on the field. So uh, he and John Elway have a pretty long history together. They are friends. They uh, have worked well together. And I'm not sure what the numbers are, but you could make the argument that John Elway's best season as a uh, quarterback in the NFL was a season in which Jim Fossil was his offensive coordinator with the Denver Broncos in 1993. So, uh, sad news. Uh, it sounds like he died of a, a heart attack after some complications from COVID. And, uh, it is, it is a loss for the entire NFL. Uh, I, I was watching Rich Eisen's show today and he was talking about Jim fossil being, uh, the head coach of the giants after nine 11, after the, the tragic events of nine 11 and, uh, how the giants and the jets and the, the Yankees and, and, you know, sort of the, the, all of those sports teams, those head coaches were, so important to helping to bring the city back bring New York back Uh, and so he's he's a big part of football history and uh, it is sad news to hear of his passing
0: you mentioned the season 93 as Andrew Mason pointed out a terrific offensive mind who in 1993 arrived as offensive coordinator harnessed the talents of John Elway in a manner that had not been seen before in 1993, Elway posted completion percentage, yardage, and touchdown tallies that were better than any of his first ten seasons. That's pretty remarkable, since he led three teams to Super Bowls that should have never been to the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, the, those those teams were uh, they were John Elway carried for sure.
0: That Can I mention team? the fact that I, I want to say something that Go for and it. maybe this is my soapbox, but oh, good. It is weird to look at people on social media disparage John Elway the way that they do to say that he wasn't as good or great as he actually was. Those are people who had never watched John Elway play football because he did things that no other quarterback has done or did before him. And it's just, I, I won't stand for it. I will not stand for it. John Elway is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the National Football League. And we have made we've we've had this discussion. If he had played for the 49ers with Bill Walsh, they would have never lost a Super Bowl. They probably would have won 10 straight Super Bowls. And Bill Walsh actually tried to get John Elway in 1983. And he had Joe Montana at the time. So this, this talk about how John Elway wasn't that great. F off. You don't know anything about football.
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I had this conversation and I don't want to take away from our Jim fossil stuff. So I'll, I'll, I'll put a, put a bow on it here real quick. And, and just again, say uh, he was a, a very important person in the history of the NFL. Uh, I, I recommend look up that Rich Eisen clip. Um, he goes through, he, I, he coached or played for pretty much every football league that ha- had existed. CFL, NFL, USFL, uh, UFL World Football League. I mean, every every single football league Jim Fossil was a part of it in some way, uh, which is impressive in and of itself. Uh, and so, you know, just to give just to give his his you know sort of memory a little bit of uh, due reference there, um, you know, he will be missed. But to kind of go back, and I think Jim Fossil is a part of of that great Elway career, and that '93 season was a, a season in which he really did find a different gear as a quarterback because he had a, a, an offensive coordinator who put him in the best position to succeed and they worked well together and all of those things. But my son asked me this question about the greatest quarterback of all time. And he said, well, it's not Tom Brady. Tom Brady can't be the greatest quarterback of all time. I've, I've raised him well. He understands that we uh, really don't like uh, Tom Brady, which is fine, you know, FYTB and all that stuff. Um, but I, I sort of, I, I backed him off of it a little bit and here's why. I don't believe anymore in my old age, now that I've seen multiple generations of players, because I'm old enough now to have seen players from the 80s, players from the 90s, players from the 2000s, and now players from the 2010s, and we're into the 2020s, okay? So I have seen these players, and I have, I have the wherewithal to look back in the past and, and recognize the greatness of players like Johnny Unitas, for example. When you start to look at great players throughout history and you start to say, well, who's the greatest of all time? I've come to a point in my life where I really can't, uh, maybe aside from John Elway, because that's a childhood thing for me, I really can't say one player was greater than another. But what I can do is I can say you have great players who deserve to be in a conversation about greatness. And if you're someone who is leaving John Elway out of that conversation, it's because you don't know football. It's because you don't understand the game itself. It's because you have a recency bias and you didn't see the game back in the eighties and nineties. And you never felt the need to go back and look at it. And John Elway as a quarterback was talent wise, maybe the greatest talent in the history of the NFL with what he could do with his arm, with what he could do with his feet and the way that he changed a lot of the things that happened in the, in the league and the way that the game was played, he was the type of player that terrified defensive coordinators because he was going to make everybody around him that much better. And that's when you start to get into conversations about things like intangibles and, and those kinds of things. And those intangibles are things that when you talk about the greatness of Derek Jeter, because I'm a big Derek Jeter fan as well. What he did was something you couldn't grasp, right? It wasn't stats. It was, it was different. It was the way that he uh, raised everybody else up around him. And I know I'm going to get hate for, for talking about how great Derek Jeter was. I don't care. Bring it on. It's not a big deal to me. The point I'm trying to make is when you look back through the history of sports, and I'll use baseball as an, as an analogy here, Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player in the history of Major League Baseball. Yes, I believe that. But I also believe that there are other players in that conversation like Willie Mays like Mickey Mantle, like Derek Jeter, for example, because of some of the other things that he did, like an Albert Pujols, who's coming down to the end of his career. I think you'll talk about Mike Trout in in that way when his career is done. So you you have all of these generations. uh, Absolutely, Lou Gehrig is in that conversation. Bob Gibson is in that conversation. Jackie Robinson is in that conversation. You have players that deserve to be in the conversation. And if you want to rank them, rank them. That's fine. That's up to you. I I, I'm, I'm fine with that, but I sort of hit a point where I'm more interested in just the greatness itself. And I don't want to argue with people about whether or not Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James, because they're both incredible. And yes, LeBron James is, is a a flopper, but he's the best flopper. And so you have to, you know, you have to give him his credit for being so good at that. But quite frankly, if if you want to take the jokes out of it, those two players are the greatest players in basketball history, along with, Magic Johnson and Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who doesn't get enough love anymore, but it's because we keep getting older and the game keeps moving on. And so people don't look back at how great people actually were. So John Elway, you just threw me up on a soapbox. Here I am ranting. John Elway doesn't get his due from all these young punks who have never looked back. Can you believe I just said young punks who've never looked back at old film? That's right. Get off my lawn. Because they because they don't have the time, they don't want to, they can't put PFF stats on it, they can't throw their analytics at it because it doesn't work for them. Fine, it's just different eras. But when I got a twelve year old kid telling me that the greatest player in NBA history is Steph Curry because of what he did in one, you know, he's in the conversation. But stop telling me he's the greatest. I've seen I've seen more than you, whippersnapper. God, where is my Walker? And my, and my my string beans and mashed potatoes and peas. I feel so old. Get me out of this nursing home, Ian.
0: There's a basketball player that I think – you mentioned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think I, there's one that is even more – I mean, he's mentioned. Like the talking heads, like Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, they'll mention him. I don't think people realize how incredible of a basketball player Oscar Robertson was. The big O – was incredible, like if it, and there and then there's two others too that should be in the discussion. John Havlicek didn't steal the ball. Bob Cousy, <laughs> Pete Maravich. You want to see pistol Pete Maravich? If you want to see things done with a basketball that people aren't doing now that he was doing in the fifties and the sixties, look up Pete Maravich. Like. It's incredible what he what he did. Like it just So yeah, I mean you have to know history. And you're a history you're a history teacher. I was a history minor. We both love history. But you have to have an appreciation of history to have an appreciation for the present. You have to know how you got here. Yeah, and to you discredit don't discredit players from the past because you didn't watch them is an absurd argument. I never experience in abraham lincoln's speech but i know he's one of the greatest presidents ever
1: yeah the whole free and the slaves thing was was kind of a big deal i suppose uh, don't come at me with the conversation about the emancipation proclamation i know how that worked i'm not i'm not going to get into that uh it's, it's a whole th- that's a whole thing as well I, it, it is interesting to note, sort of the greatness of players and how it gets lost to time and, and, and then people ignore it. And actually we were getting ready to talk about somebody whose greatness deserves to be talked about in, in terms of his Broncos greatness that has been lost to time uh, and has been disparaged by people in Broncos country. And that's Lyle Alzado. Uh, Lyle Alzado is a guy who, yeah, he has some steroid stuff in his history. I defy you to find people in the eighties who didn't uh, you know, that that is something that you can certainly, uh, you know do so do a deep dive on but Lyle Alzado's history with the Denver Broncos is one of uh, a player who made that orange crush defense scary not just good but scary he was in, in Tom Jackson's terms he was his Rottweiler he was his pit bull right Tom Jackson would would gas everybody up and, and he would hit them with all you know he was he was the mouth as, as you are want to say Ian uh, which is great he was definitely the the mouth of that defense but Lyle Alzado was the junkyard dog that was going to tear your head off. And Tom Jackson talked about, I would just set him loose. I would just say, go get that guy. And he'd do it. And it has been a mistake, I believe uh, on the part of the Denver Broncos organization to distance themselves from him because he was such an integral part of that orange crush defense and the face of the organization. You could really say he, along with, Uh, You know, Tom Jackson and, and Randy Gratishar, but he in particular, they were the face of that organization. They were what made that team tick.
0: And I would argue that after Floyd Little, the face of the Denver Broncos was Lyle Alzado. And the fact that he's not in the ring of fame, that he is disparaged the way he is because he played for the Raiders. Give me a break. What Lyle Alzado did to the Broncos, without Lyle Alzado, they do not go to the Super Bowl. That defense is not what it is without him. And don't listen to me. All you have to do is listen to Tom Jackson and Billy Thompson, who are both in the ring of fame. You cannot write the history of the Denver Broncos without Lyle Alzado being involved in it. The contributions that he made to the Broncos, and not just on the field. There's a piece that the Denver Broncos website did a couple of weeks ago On him, And it just detailed all the things that he did over his career, but more importantly, everything he did off the field. You can't write the story of the Denver Broncos without Lyle Alzado. So the fact that he is not going to be in the ring of fame, and I think he should be, he should be the next member of the Broncos ring of fame, even before Steve Foley. The fact Steve Foley is not in the ring of fame as the interceptions leader for this franchise is absurd. But Lyle Alzado needs to be in the Broncos' ring of fame. And I get it. People can't get over the fact that he played for the Raiders. You know who else played for the Raiders? Only it was kind of – it was flipped. Rich Tombstone Jackson played for the Raiders. But people don't disparage him. Why? Because he ended his career with the Broncos, but he played for the Raiders. Lyle Alzado should be in the Broncos' ring of fame. And I am going to stand on this box until it happens because the Broncos do not make the history they made in 1977 and 78 going to their first Super Bowl without him. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.